Hello, and welcome to the very comfortable Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM, or on your local community radio station, or on your podcast application, Harbinger Media Network. David Franklin Erwin Hostetter. Stefan Christian Erwin Hostetter. Lauren Elizabeth Corlatour is spewing jet fuel into this this hot atmosphere because she desires it in what is it qatar the united arab emirates dubai of all places wow dubai for cop 26 7 28 yikes run by an oil executive former but he's gonna he's gonna help us get off oil so she's going to be there for a few weeks. We don't know if we're going to hear from her. But you will hear her voice on this episode because I am using stuff from last week. A little bit of climate news. Stefan will be interviewing Andre Goulet. That is one of them. The other is Eric Wickham. Eric Wickham. Exactly. Mm-hmm. About a new coalition of local, regional, and national media outlets from across Canada called Unrigged.ca. The Harbinger Media Network is a coalition of, you know, independent and progressive podcasts and radio shows like our own. And this is a step forward in the written word from 20 different groups, including some super, super cool groups like the Briar Patch. Uh, Eric is actually representing the Hoser, where he's been doing some work the last couple of years, last couple of months. You'll, you'll hear all of the, the whole list from, from Andre in the interview, but it's truly a cool operation trying to find a way for independent media news to survive as uh, Facebook basically shut down their ability to share any of their stories. So it's uh, they're hoping to come together to be able to subsist. And so you really should support them. I just imagine all of these journalists just huddling huddling eating their canned beans <laughs> i need to subsist let's help each other subsist i mean i think, thrive I would think be great. i've got a little bit of of turnip that i managed to dig up from my sidewalk garden i'm sure uh, all... we need to just just compile our stuff into into one website here boys well actually the website links back out to other people's websites but there is a newsletter you can join to get there to get to get it all 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 connected what are they calling it uh, unrigged. Unrigged. Yeah. And I imagine they will not be asking for uniform support of Israel across all platforms? I do not believe so. See, that's something I can handle. If you didn't know, I'm a man with hands. I like to get my hands on things. All right. Well, why don't you get your hands on our one news story of the day? I would like to get my hands on some hands-on journalism. Well, you can do that at unrigged.ca. This story has nothing to do with hands-on journalism. No, it does not. So, Ontario and Toronto, Mr. Doug Ford and Miss Olivia Chow, they're freeing up money because the province is going to take over rebuilding the gardener and dealing with, uh, what was the other? The, the, other? Da- the DVP. The DVP. The Don Valley What's Parkway. What's happening to DVP? Oh, just maintenance, all ongoing. Okay, so the province will take care of that. Yeah. And they're going to build the uh, spa, the private spa at Ontario Place. That will cause the felling of how many trees? 800. Only eight hundred. I thought it was. I thought it was eighteen hundred, fifteen hundred. They are felling one million trees at Ontario Place so that rich people can get their feet rubbed. By whom? Um, what Therm Spa is the name of the the, the company that by anyone hired by Therm Spa also has good hands. 
get their hands on the feet of the beautifully wealthy. Wow. Um, so they're going to build, I guess they're going to build some shelter housing potentially and some other housing. And they want money for uh, refugees. Uh, well, no. The, and the, the money. Subways. Yes. There was something from Subways. The money that would support refugees is being expected to come from the feds. This is specifically not that. This deal has to do with the feds, though, right? A lot of the money is contingent on the federal government stepping in. So while the price tag is pretty high for the city of Toronto here, it's I think it's something like $1.2 million, something like that, maybe more. Uh, sorry, billion dollars. Um, a lot of that money requires the federal government to come in and give other unlocking money. So it's a bit of a, we'll give you this money, but also a push to the feds to to supply money as well. And I would say this money, this deal is getting mixed reviews, I would say, from from folks and for, for a variety of reasons. And so I just want to give a couple bit of clarifying thoughts about it because, well, first and foremost, it's not a new deal. There is no new revenue tools being given to the city here. There are no new borrowing abilities. There are no new powers. Like, this is just a pretty standard funding bill from the Ontario government to the to the city. Now, the uploading of the Gardner certainly helps. And I, I should also say, before I get into that, that, like, obviously, they should have torn down the Gardner, 100%. And they definitely should not build this foolish spa in the West Island of, Lake on, uh, of Ontario Place. Both of those ideas are very bad. And yet, I think there's both of those also come with some caveats, which is that a, I mean, they were already build rebuilding the gardener, and it was so expensive and going to be so expensive. The gardener, just this one stretch of highway, was going to be it is in current plans. Fourteen percent of all capital projects in the next ten years, and was fourteen percent of this year's budget for the capital projects in terms of the city of transportation department. And so this is some, this was a very significant chunk of money that is being freed up. And those costs were expected to increase because of things like inflation, et cetera. So we don't actually know how much money this was going to cost. And at least now it's not going to be dragging down the Toronto with it. And like, again, should be torn down. That was a John Tory thing. So, like, people people seem to agree with his building of that. I mean, I mean, people outside of Toronto love the fact that it exists. Um, people outside of Toronto love to quickly move through Toronto in their car. Oh yeah, I mean, I literally think that's what how Ford described it. He was something like, the "People from Barrie can now be certain they won't get hit by tolls." That's how he's selling it to the rest of the the rest of the. If you're trying to bypass the entire city in yeah. your personal vehicle. But it's a was going to be an absolute suck on city finances, and to not have that is huge, given how bad city finances were. And I think that's one of the key things here that people have to appreciate was just how unbelievably broke the city is currently and was going to be. We've had a couple shows on this in the past. Um, if you go back to the last time we talked to Sarah Buchanan, she'll talk about it a little bit. And the city still will need new revenue tools, but if they're able to actually get the matching funding from the from the feds then a lot of the worst case scenarios could hopefully be avoided you know there were articles earlier this 
month about the worries that line two, the sort of sec- second main line, the green line for those in Toronto uh, who look, don't see, see the TTC maps, was going to have problems because it has aging subways and there's money in there for that. There's money in there for the LRTs. Like, if they are able to find this extra matching funding, it is a significant first step towards getting ourselves away from the cliff that, like, everyone was very, very scared of. Uh, the $200 million per year um, to help um, our unhoused neighbors was way more money than the Doug Forbes was going to give up up until this point. And so that is also sort of expected, unexpectedly good news. And on the entire place thing, I think we need to all of, almost everyone, and even when you see it in question period, have ex- should have accepted that this fight was always going to be a fight in the in either the provincial or the federal jurisdictions and in the courts. Because the Ontario government, as it's shown time and time again, can do literally anything. Uh, and the city of Toronto is just a part of the Ontario government. And so while Olivia Chow is obviously choosing not to expend her political capital in this fight, which you can argue is a good or bad, is not, is, you know, is a bad thing. And again, I, would, I generally agree that we should fight this in every way we can. This the province was already moving towards expropriating the land, and this week, just a day or two after, um, or this week, right around the same time, along with this bill, the province put in a series of other changes that would allow for the Ontario Place development to avoid an environmental assessment and other things like that, which basically I think tells the story that the Ontario government was going to push this forward and out of Ontario jurisdiction, basically regardless. And so, yes, the fight should continue, but the fight really needs to focus on where we can have the power, which is either in the provincial or trying to get the feds to designate the space needing an environmental assessment, which has been considered. And so... These are all the things playing into this. And the last thing I will say, or the second last thing I will say, is that this isn't just trying to be a blanket defense of uh, the uh, Mayor Chow or the general administration in the city. There are many, many reasons to still be critical of them, not the least of which uh, is the ongoing, uh, or, or, or the, or, yeah. not the least of which were the violent evictions occurring last late last week at St. Stephen's by the Field, which is in downtown Toronto, uh, and the giant blocks that have been erected to keep people from returning. And that's exactly the kind of example of the stuff that really we should be holding, you know, uh, the mayor and progressive councillors to account for. You know, that's in Diane Sachs's writing and the fact that it's being treated differently there than other encampments in other in other neighborhoods really should tell a story that we need to hold some people accountable but it's also true that one thing that's pretty 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 i would say remarkable is that the first six months of this new mayor have shown a series of things that tory never got to do at all you know we spent years wishing that people would have uh, cell service in the, uh, you know, under in the subways here in the city, which would which was being blocked by the major corporations of Bell and Rogers, while Tory was receiving a hundred thousand dollars a year to sit on Rogers' board, and suddenly within six months of him being gone, that's happening, and 
there has been talks of up-leveling the gardener for for years as well. You can go back and see other stories about things that Tori was trying to get done, yada, yada, which didn't get done. And again, that's also happening here. And so for all of the ways that sort of people kept being like, well, you should definitely vote for Anna Bailau because she'll be able to get more things out of Doug Ford and she'll be able to work with other people. I can't see how that is the case. And I can't imagine that Anna Bailau would be out here delivering more money coming from the Ford government than we've seen in the last little bit, given, you know, John Tory's track record previously. So I do think that we need to keep holding uh, people to account. This, But if this this has to be seen as incredibly needed relief that I don't think a lot of us were expecting to come at all from the Ford government. And so the fact that it is means that, you know, maybe the there is hope to avoid some of the worst case scenarios that people are really worried about going to next year and the next uh, budget in the city. What were those blocks, those concrete blocks you were talking They're about? They're these gigantic blocks that have been placed where the people were sleeping to avoid like on the churchyard yeah it's t- i think it's, i think they're claiming that part is technically city property this is amazing it's amazing what we do to ourselves in this city aesthetically to like stop oh yeah stuff like we, we make our city uglier to stop graffiti and we're making it uglier and less comfortable and, and hostile to stop you know uh homeless people yeah no this is undeniably an example of some of the worst parts of the city bureaucracy that people have been calling for. You know, I think there's like people have been calling for some significant shakeups in the high levels of city bureaucracy. And I think stuff like this is exactly where you see some of that impacts, you know, of people just being like, well, this is what we want to do for X, Y, Z reason, rather than thinking of unique ways of, of helping people or avoiding displacing people and in finding other ways to get things done. All right, we'll go to a music break and come back with some news with Lauren. back with the green majority we're going to do some climate news um so there's a new un report warning against uh so-called investor state dispute settlements uh we of course have spoken of these before yeah that is an international law that allows companies to sue governments for rejecting their projects uh, recently un special rapporteur on human rights and environment david boyd said quote uh, please consider how crazy this system is. States that are trying to tackle the climate and environmental crisis and safeguard the human rights of their people are being forced to pay billions of dollars in compensation to the very corporations that have caused this crisis. Instead of making polluters pay, states are paying polluters. 
And Inside Climate News provided some examples. Uh, Italy had to pay $200 million last year to a British oil company for banning offshore drilling. In 2015, Pakistan was ordered to pay $6 billion to a Canadian-Chilean mining company. But instead, they just allowed them to build the mine. And the Republic of the Congo is fighting three foreign mining companies who are trying to extort $30 billion from the country, which is twice their GDP. Um, so, yeah, not, not only are we subsidizing all these oil companies, they actually have the power to force other states to accept their projects. Um, uh, the United States is planning to massively expand the use of liquid methane gas. Just one of their 20 new projects is 20 times as big as the Willow Project in Alaska, which Biden approved in March. Um, Enviva, a company building... Well, I won't, if, if you don't... Maybe I won't say that because I, I was wondering what... No, I'll, I'll say that next week and you guys can talk about uh, wood pellets. Um the UK's top pediatrician is saying that the climate crisis poses an existential risk to UK children, which I just think is a really funny statement. Like, essentially, their their top child doctor is like, all our children are going to die. <laughs> like, if you're talking about an existential risk. You're like, existential risk to all UK children is like, oh great, you're you're essentially saying your country is on the on the on the verge of having no children. Which I think is just funny. Uh, a, a coalition of 120 for th- 123 First Nations is calling on the federal government to follow through on its 2019 promise to end open net pen salmon farms in BC. Uh, the pens are apparently they, they harm wild salmon. Uh, the government has changed had changed its position last year to say that it would it would minimize them instead of of getting rid of them. So perhaps it it will not be getting rid of them. And Ireland. Uh, the land of angels has rejected a methane gas import terminal because of climate concerns. Yeah, man. Shout out to Ireland for continuing to be the one cool country in. Um, actually, they're not really in the Commonwealth, are they? That's Northern Ireland. But just being the one cool country. We love them. They're cool. And that's probably because they were like early colonized peoples by by England. Anyway. Just want to comment really quickly. So, so that coalition of 123 First Nations against open, open net pen salmon farms. Um, you might be wondering why salmon farming is bad. Um, and and it's you know controversial. There's debate. Um, but in this instance, we have to we have to side with with the First Nations calling for that ceasing of operations there. But basically, what ends up happening a lot of the times is um, the reason it, it poses a threat to wild salmon is because um, when fish live in a an enclosed area, it's really easy for things like disease to develop. Um, and then if it's an open net pen, that means it is um, it's a pen that is in in an already existing natural body of water. It's not one that's like separate and um, on land. Sometimes they'll be in like a big pool, almost like almost like a big above ground swimming pool. Um, but these open net ones are um, immersed in the ocean. And that means that any disease or any illness that might develop within that um, fa- uh, within that farm population can then really easily um, be pulled out and affect and affect the wild population as well. So there's a number of reasons that that um, open pen farming or open net pen farming is is 
can be damaging, but, but that's just one of them just for folks to have a little bit of context there. And then lastly, I just wanted to comment on this um, story about um, liquid, uh, liquid methane gas or liquid natural gas, as you might sometimes hear it referred to, but we're trying to use methane gas to, to drive home the fact that natural gas is, is, is methane. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's part of this, this new, well, not new, but it's, it's this chain of projects or this grouping of projects that could potentially come online um, over the next several years in the states that would that would really, really um, push us back in terms of climate progress. For instance, um, what's this quote? It's, it's a piece on The Guardian, if you want to go check it out yourself, uh, published in late October. Um, the headline is uh, Carbon Megabomb, Climate Experts Urge Biden to Block Gas Export Hub, in case you want to check it out yourself. But one of these um, one of these figures is uh, a growing boom of U.S. LNG projects could add the equivalent emissions of 675 coal-fired power plants. <laughs> so, like, that's the thing. There's this ongoing um, conversation and and try as we might to push back on it. It continues to be really um, powerful and prolific that um, LNG or natural gas in general is a bridge fuel. And it is not. This is an example of that. Um, it's it's just as damaging. Methane is an incredibly potent um, greenhouse gas. Um, and it's really, really hard to, um, in, in addition to it being just like a bad product in general, um, it's it's known for um, releasing far more emissions than we are good at calculating and that we are good for, for accounting at, at, and that we are good at accounting for. Um, recently, uh, we should try to bring up an actual story about it at some point, but I know we've mentioned it in the past, but um, for all intents and purposes, methane emissions are way higher um, at, with, are way higher than, than we tend to believe they are um, just because like, let's, be real, gas is really hard to contain in an airtight um, container, um, as as anybody who has ever breathed air or put a sandwich in a Tupperware container might know. Um, anyway, this specific project that that Dave referenced, um, the one that has the res has the potential to result in more than twenty times the emissions of the Willow project, um, is what is sort of like colloquially referred to as CP2, um, and it's in Louisiana. Uh, it's also referred to CP stands for, and excuse me, I'm going to butcher this, um, Calcasio Pass 2. Um, and it's being planned for, like we said, um, on Louisiana's coast, and it would involve bringing gas um, extracted via fracking, of course, through a pipeline to a terminal where it would then be um, exported primarily to Europe. Um, so anyway, uh, this is an issue not just in the States, it's in Canada as well. We have something like five or six projects either online or coming online to export natural gas um, from the Pacific to foreign markets as well. So this isn't strictly a U.S. issue. It's it's in so-called Canada. But um, there's just for a president like Biden, who claims to be such a climate champion, um, this is not looking good. And is part of um, this broader trend that it's being referred to as the, the dash to gas that isn't just happening domestically, but it's happening all over the place. Genocide Joe. Woohoo! We stand. We do not. I'm kidding. And we will take another music break and return with Stefan speaking with Andre Goulet and who? Eric Wickham. And Eric Wickham about uh, Unrigged, a new media partnership. Coalition. Coalition. That's how you know they don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about how little money it's they have. It's not a partnership, it's a coalition. Oh yeah, they have no money. Yes. In the interview, they claim they did it on $300. Wow. 
enjoy. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported, and we would take this opportunity to graciously thank every individual donating to our Patreon page. Thank you very much. We are a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, home of such podcasts as Alberta Advantage, The Breach Show, and The Pullback Podcast, as well as over 40 other excellent shows. My name is Stephen Hostetter, and if you are just joining us, we are stoked to be welcoming back to the show Andre Goulet. And I don't, Eric, have you been on the show? Eric Wickham is the other guest. I'm not sure. I've been on your show, but I don't know if you've been yes. on ours. I have not been on your show, but I have listened to it a ton, and I'm a big fan. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having us. It's funny. It's fun that that oversight's getting corrected now. Eric, Eric is a, a hero of independent media. Many know that, but many more should find out that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Eric Cookham uh, with Big Shiny Takes and with, I guess, in this particular context, also uh, The Hoser. And we are here, as previewed earlier on the show, to talk about Unrigged, which is, well, I'll let you actually pitch it. But for those who don't remember Andre, who came back last time, he is with Harbinger Media Network, which is the thing we plug every time. Now we are back because we are part of their network, which is amazing. Up to 60 shows, I believe, are now members of Harbinger, including some amazing ones, including the one Eric mentioned. But yeah, thank you so both of you for being here. And opening question, what is Unrigged? We're really happy to be here to talk about it because we launched Unrigged.ca on November 15th. Unrigged is a coalition of 20 local, regional, and national media outlets from across Canada. And it's basically like a one-stop aggregation website that auto-updates stories from 20 different publishers across the country. So in Alberta, we got the Progress Report. In Saskatchewan, we got Sask Dispatch and Briar Patch. In Ontario, it's The Grind, Midnight Sun, Upping the Ante, and The Hoser. In Quebec, it's Ababal, The Rover, and the Coop de Solidarité Pivot. In New Brunswick, it's the NB Media Co-op. In Newfoundland, it's The Independent. And the national publishers at Ricochet, The Breach, the Resolve, The Media Co-op, The Maple, Canadian Dimension, Press Progress, and Harbinger. So it's a huge community. And we basically converged and started this project because Bill 18 dropped and it, it, it liquidated everybody and we're in, we're in trouble. We're also doing it because there is a large community and like a lot of friendships behind the scenes and in independent media. So it was sort of like an easy, easy to get people to yes to launch a, pro a project like this. But the short answer is, listeners, go to unrig.ca and catch the new website. It's awesome. Eric, does that, does, that, uh, does that check out for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bill C-18 and the fallout from it, for those who don't know, Bill C-18 was an attempt by the federal government to get some money from the tech giants that have made a lot of money hosting journalism on their platforms to give back to the industry. I don't know if 
the way Bill C-18 was written would have actually helped a lot of the people that are part of Unrigged in the first place. But the fallout from this legislation being passed was that Facebook banned Canadian news content from all of their platforms. So, I mean, the big ones being Facebook and Instagram, right? And and this has been really, really difficult for news, especially independent news, because we've all gotten really used to like promoting our stuff on social media. I only got social media accounts in journalism school because they're like, you have to be here if you want to be taken seriously as a journalist, which I've never really forgiven journalism school for. But I mean, we get trained on these platforms and now we're getting kicked off these platforms. So I guess to me, Unrigged was a response to that, a way that we could move away from these these organizations that benefit from us, but don't ever really give back to us. And 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 just to for listeners who aren't really following the Bill C-18 story that closely, basically it was like government made a bit of a mess of of their bill. And then, of course, the tech giants were super greedy. And instead of being like, yeah, well, we'd like to find a way to kind of like compromise and and help keep uh, journalism alive. They were just like, no, we're literally eliminating Canadian news. So obviously this hits independent news like The Hoser and all of our other friends in independent Canadian journalism. It hits us really hard. And so that's why Unrigged.ca was launched as a response to this and a sort of a deliberate community convergence to to respond to what is really a crisis moment for Canadian journalism? Yeah, it makes sense. And I, I want to get back to a couple of pieces we had there. A, sort of the poor timing of C-18 with the immolation, I will say, of Twitter. And also more about Unrigged. But I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about how Bill C-18 has sort of gone through. Because to my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, a very similar sort of fight occurred in Australia. Because we basically copied this law from Australia. And the tech giants basically said the same thing. But then in Australia, the tech giants, to my understanding, backed down. And it seems like here they're just like, no, we're just going to wait it out and you will just all die. Is that a right reading of this? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the the my understanding of this is that a similar conversation is being had in California. And this is sort of the watershed moment for these tech giants who are mostly based in the United States and do a lot of their work in California. If California goes ahead and does something similar to what Australia did and what Canada uh, has done as well, I think that sets a precedent. And so I think, you know, Facebook taking their ball and going home is sort of their way of uh, playing hardball ahead of time, sort of sending a message to lawmakers in California that, hey, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't play along. Now, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I I kind of see that being the reason why we've been we've been met with such a such a harsh consequence of existing in Canada. And you would need to get like a Cory Doctorow, a David Mosscrop, a Michael Geiston to really talk about like the minutia of the law. But from my understanding, like it was meant to, you know, share some money, but with the, mostly the mainstream, which would, of course, allow the national uh, like post media to to get money. This is a, like a hedge fund, an American hedge fund owned uh, national Canadian news chain. And like, like it wasn't really going to go to independent journalism. Like we, we weren't really going to be part of that. But I think that the Trudeau government messed it up. But I also think that the interest of the tech giants, like Eric saying, they took their ball and went home because they're like, well, we need to make a point that we're not going to stand for this. But I mean, to be fair to the federal government, they were like, well, we're going to make, we're a government, we'll make a law. And then the tech giants were like, 
what law? We're just like shutting down Canadian news. So it, it, it leads to lots of other question marks like, what does that mean for like misinformation and fake news in Canada? How does that affect politics? How does that affect society? Like the crisis moment is kind of broad and, and hits a lot of different points. So again, this is why unrig.ca is a project that like we launched without any money. We, we did it out of just sort of like a, a community coming together to, to do the work to sort of make something like this happen. And we did it because there is a real sense of urgency and also a sense of like, I guess, exploration and the way having like camaraderie between different publishers allows us to like pursue a project like this. So the vibes are good. And so I would urge listeners to check out unrig.ca where what they'll find is basically like five highlighted stories from different publishers. Below that, a stream of all the new articles coming out from these 20 different publishers. There's also on the side, new podcast episodes from the Harbinger community and also new videos from the independent progressive publishing community. And that's the other key thing. We're all progressive publishers, which means that we have very little daylight between the values that we have. Like it's a real shared values community. And that means people are going to find the sort of news that they don't always find in the mainstream and certainly don't find at post media or even like CTV or global very often, which is stories on like the crisis of un unhoused people, the crisis of, of, of like climate, uh, the, the crisis of uh, justice for indigenous people in Canada. And like, like the sort of stuff that, that listeners of this show probably wish they were able to find more of. Um, so it really is a community with an agenda to push forward the sort of news you find less often, but importantly, having it be presented at a really professional level, because what else all these publishers share in common is that they're extremely high quality journalists. I don't have a journalism background, but like Eric does. And like everyone in this community is basically like from that sort of J school background. They just aren't afraid to kind of lead with their values in, in the work they do. I will say, I had a conversation with someone recently when I told them about this. They were like, oh, wow, I could maybe just get my news from that instead of having to go back on Instagram. Is there a newsletter that like comes out with this? Is that a plan for the future? Is that something you're going to do? I want to preface this by just saying the, the response was so great on November 15th and the week and two weeks after that, that Eric, well, you did put together a little newsletter, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. I did. I So... Now we have a, a weekly update. We just call it Unrigged Weekly in the in the sort of chat between the people working on the site. But it is just like every week we show the the posts that are trending and are getting the most traffic on our page. So if you are a person who wants to be updated, we will send the stories to you. They will end up in your inbox. And just to give like just to give a sort of example of this stuff, people will find. In the newsletter and on the front page of Unrigged right now, it's the new piece from The Breach talking about the Gestapo-esque uh, raid on uh, Palestine activist protesters in Toronto, a press progress piece on a new group in Quebec that's uniting young separatists under identitarian ethnic nationalism. There's a piece from Canadian Dimension about building grassroots tenant power in Toronto's Oakwood Vaughan neighborhood, a new piece from the New Brunswick Media Co-op about illustrations and artists and schizophrenia. And a lot more besides. So definitely subscribe to the newsletter to get a weekly update with some of the highlights of the dozens of pieces that are released on Unrigged every week. I should also point out that when you click on a story at Unrigged, it automatically takes you back to the home publisher website. So it's just basically 
a way of aggregating the content and then redirecting readers to discover these websites that maybe they didn't know about before because someone in St. John's who reads The Independent might not have heard about Briarpatch and Regina, right? So like there's a way of, of building these bridges regionally between different people around the country. On the website too, it is organized that people who have a regional interest can go check out only Ontario, check out only the West, check out the Atlantic, check out Quebec, and then also, also a national click-through as well as podcasts and video. And Eric and I would be remiss if we didn't mention that the other key people on the steering committee, because it was Eric and me and a couple others, is Romy Garrido, the publisher at Press Progress. She's fantastic and was like a key voice in pulling this project together. Andrew Ojaje, who's the publisher at The Breach, who had like the germ of this idea, I think five or six years ago. So he's sort of been like plotting it for a long time. And the timing was right recently for us to pull together and, and make it happen. So it was like a small but really deliberate team uh, behind the scenes, pulling in all our friends from different publishers and different progressive media, and then putting this for project forward uh, a couple weeks ago on November 15th, uh, which people can find out more about at unrig.ca. Awesome. So let's go back a little bit to the ecosystem that sort of you launched into, because I grew up sort of in the social media experience. You know, I was just the age where I just joined university as Facebook was taking off and then moved into some of the other ones. Uh, I never I've never learned TikTok because I'm old. But the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Twitters, so that that age of social media that sort of held on to its to its attempt to be, I think, maybe most useful to news organizations. And it feels like we're very, very close to being able to basically say we're in a post social media world. I do not really feel like any in specific one we are going to save. It feels like it's splintering, especially as Twitter dies. Like not everyone is moving anywhere. Every journalist seems to have 16 different things, and I truly do not know where to find any of them. And I honestly still to this day cannot get my Mastodon account to work. I have gave up, guys. I gave up. I wanted it to work. But yeah, how does media get out there now? How do you get out into people's minds? How do you have this conversation with your readers? You know, outside of going back to physical forms and throwing it into the TTC stations, you know, like the grind has. A lot of people are running away from Twitter, but I think we we neglect to notice that Mastodon's owned by e Elon Tusk. And, and that's a problem too. And that's a problem too. So we need to also pay attention to that. But Eric... Stefan, I, I think that there is a moment where when Facebook pulled the trigger and like everyone was sort of like, oh, yeah, OK, they actually did that. They threatened it and now they did it. And now we're like we're in we're in hot water. We started to kind of have conversations like, OK, so, yeah, we all kind of just like went deep on that. And since the sort of renaissance of independent media began like four or five, six years ago, everyone's just sort of been like, yep, we're all in on social media. That's how we grow our audiences. Did it work? Not really. And so now that it's kind of gone, we're like, okay, well, what are the next steps? And so I think we're thinking kind of analog. Like, what does it look like to throw events? What does it look like to have zines? What does it look like? Not literally zines, but I mean, the grind is like a return to a form that is extremely good, right? And so they're hustling and trying to make it work. But yeah, just like this sort of like hands-on DIY aspect I, I don't think it's a stretch because there is a characteristic to a lot of this independent media, which is 
very DIY and like very like a scene and like actually really cool people doing journalism, which is not really the conventional way we think of it. So yeah, so it's a lot like community and campus radio, but kind of like tied into a, a, just a different, like a different, a different approach. Eric, I'm sorry for the pun. But what are your, what are your contributions? Well, I don't forgive you for the pun, but to the earlier points about social media, maybe or maybe us entering a post social media world. I mean, this is such an interesting moment, especially for Canadian media, where we get kicked off of Facebook and Instagram. And then Twitter implodes entirely, which I mean, Twitter is the playground for most journalists. It's like where it's where I used to post all my stuff. I'm not posting there anymore. I I think this is the way things are going. Media has been in a death spiral since I started working in it, which is, I mean, mid 2010s. And there's always fads. There's always, you know, maybe we should pivot to video. Oh, maybe we got to get on this social media platform to push our stuff. Oh, maybe maybe we start doing things like that. Oh, is TikTok the thing that we need to do? And it's like, no, these are not solutions. Like it's us relying on another platform once again or trying out something that's going to be costly and might not play out. So I, I'm really excited about something very simple and effective like Unrigged. And the thing that gives me a lot of optimism about this project is every time we bring it up to someone, we get the response like, oh, why didn't we do this before? It's just like a very simple, effective way of combining a bunch of news feeds that are good and people and, should see. And and also in the background of that, sort of building the community and, and building the deliberate bridge building between these publishers who share so much in common and, and seeing what, what it looks like uh, to, to work together. And I think like this sounds maybe corny, but like maybe one positive, hopeful reaction to this greedy Facebook and maybe the hope in the face of that is solidarity and, and having this sort of like uh, unity of purpose with progressive media. So basically like Bill C-18 and the platform reactions to it forced us to organize. And the value proposition we're putting forward to Canadians is that we're making Canadian media created to be accountable to our communities and to our readers. And we put it out in one place daily where people can come check it out at unrig.ca. So we're super stoked and we just feel like it's a project. Well, actually, we've already seen the reaction, which was like bigger than we hoped. It, it was it was big. And it's made us feel like pretty good as this year winds down and as we roll into 2024 to see what's to come. We do plan to expand with adding at least five more publishers, probably in January. And then from there, I mean, like, where else can we go but up? Because it is something that has the engine of all of the talent of all of these journalists and all of these publishers behind it. And that's a mighty thing. So I, that's amazing. And I, I look forward. I mean, it's funny. You're almost like reverse engineering a newspaper, which I love. I, I look forward to the like eventual print version of this where you just sort of take the articles that are on the newsletter, put it into physical paper, and then mail it out to everybody. Which and I love a newspaper. I'm a huge I'm a huge suck for newspapers. But to you, Eric, I'm curious from your experience from the hoser being like one of the things. What is the interest from the independent media side to join a network like this? Like, what's the impetus there, and and how does it make sense for you? Well, for me, I mean, first of all, like it it's so much fun working on this this project, and then seeing the stories that I helped put together for the hoser in the newsfeed. 
because now I get to see all my stuff besides stories from Press Progress or Pivo or Canadian Dimension or a bunch of places like The Breach that I really respect the work that is being done there. We have we have like a lot of talent at the hoser. The stories that we do, I think, are are unique and hard hitting and um, specifically for people who live in Toronto. Um, and they're like written by people who live and love the city as well. But the thing that we don't have is um, a release schedule of like multiple stories a day, right? A lot of a lot of independent publications are really restrained by you know budgets and the fact that you know we would love to do daily coverage, we would love to do like dozens of stories every day, but the frankly the money isn't there, and so I think to make us more appealing to a larger audience is by putting the stories that we're very proud of besides stories that other groups that I think have the same standards in journalism also having their stories beside ours, right? And like the feed is stronger because of that. And we're providing more of like a, a more valuable product to someone who's just trying to browse and, and get to know what's happening in the country on a given day. And one other thing, too, would be that the idea really is that the rising tide will lift all the boats, right? So when the hoser shares a space with the breach and with Pivot and with, with Canadian Dimension and with Progress Report and with, with everyone else, it's, it's people finding out about publications that maybe they didn't know about. And, and when they're going and checking out this website and just sort of scrolling, they're going to find out about new stuff. They're going to go there. It, it consolidates the readership of, of, this broad community, because keep in mind, like independent progressive media in Canada is not small. Probably a million Canadians read at least one piece from those 20 publishers that are un unrigged every year. So this really is like a way of we're on a life raft because of Bill C-18. But if we all row in the same direction, maybe we can uh, reach the shore. The nautical references. Oh, my God. The nautical references. Yeah, unrigged, by the way. Like, the, the idea is the media's rigged. We're unrigging it. That's yeah. it. So what was Get Elon it? Tusk about? That was, just, that was just me being cruel. I don't know why I did that <laughs> to you guys. Brutal. Sorry. Yeah. The, the, we, we. Figure, if you figure out a third one for Blue Sky, then you really got to go. But uh, not that I should encourage it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you see him, and, like, launch okay. forward towards the microphone. To, to lean into... Maybe something nicer as, as we're beginning to wrap up. One interesting thing is like with Green Majority being part of the Harbinger community, Harbinger kind of set a model for what it looks like to have a really vast community, like wide in scope with many, many dozens of people doing, doing work for, for largely underpaid work and having those people be collaborative and, and create community and create friendships. And with that model, it's really allowed for something like unrigged to like we can imagine it working because it's like well yeah everyone's already friends so what if we all had a shared shared project so i love feeling like our community of podcasts has helped to lead to creating this sort of you know very unconventional model because it's not one driven by like eric and i getting paid at all for the tons of work we put into launching the the project we had a 300 dollars budget for the project like understand this was like and that went towards paying for the the wordpress like it's like this the low-key budget. So yeah, I, I love that Harbinger has been a model for that. And just to say, Harbinger is at 60 shows right now, but we have an expansion launching on the 29th of November with three new shows, one of them in Daba about indigenous ways of knowledge through community psychology, which is a, 
an academic show from the University of Waterloo with academics in Chile, South Africa, Palestine, the United States, and Canada. And Trial by Shelter, which is a, a show out of Toronto put on by the unhoused community, talking about the struggles that people have living, living unhoused or living in shelter spaces. And the third show is City and Nuchimi, which is Jen Jeffries and Maete Saganash. She's Maete's up north. Jen's in Ottawa. And they talk like about pop culture and politics and stuff like that with some big guests. So yeah, Harbinger continues to grow. It's a model that like allows for lots of different people with shared values to come together. And I think Unrigged is, is really moving forward with that sort of deliberate community building. And for that and a million other reasons, we're really excited about, about the launch and about where it's going to go. So listeners can definitely check out unrigged.ca to find out more about the community. Amazing. So I, I got one other question before we sort of give you a chance to let everyone know where they can find this, which I think they will, which is one of the things I love about this and one of the things that really interests me is sort of the idea of new media or sort of the, so the wave of new media that's in here, like the hosers are part of it. There's all these other groups that are, that are part of it. And yet there's also some really old things here, like Briar Patches on here and they're 50 years. Like, you know, that's some serious legacy going on too. And so I find it really cool that you're able to bring some of these really true institutions, I would say, of independent media alongside some groups that are, you know, just starting out or started the last couple of years. And I think that that's fascinating. I'm curious how you how you think about that and how that affects sort of the work that's being done. Yeah. And Canadian Dimensions 55 years old, too. So, like, we have a couple old school places and then like a lot of places that are two, three, five, seven years old. So it's a mix. I think it really reflects like the new face of independent journalism. But I love that there are these legacy journalism spaces that exist and that are part of the community, too. Eric, what were you going to say? I think that the the differences in ages between all these publications is just reflective of how deep a crisis we're facing in media and that we have all recognized this this fallout from Bill C-18 as a as a moment where we could either continue on, you know, circling the drain or make a move to help benefit each other. Right. Like this is this is like really, I think, the motivation for a lot of these organizations who joined up. And I think it, it was the motivation for the hoser. I don't want to speak for the publishers, but it's like we have the opportunity to make our own space where people can go and get our news while also reading stories written by our friends and our colleagues from across the country. I I don't know if this is apparent to people that aren't in these these like media circles, but like a lot of these people know each other and like each other and have worked with each other in the past. I think I think the first group of people that started publishing on Unrigged were just sort of like friends of friends and stuff and we we built the community around that and i mean we will continue to grow in a similar fashion in the future that's that's really it it's the community behind it and the relationships behind the the scene which i think is really unique and kind of extraordinary and it allows unrigged as a project to really lead with important things like regional representation having uh, french and english represented and even creating kind of like, you know, the CBC's manifesto or whatever, like says they're supposed to 
rep- represent um, Canadians through the stories that are told on the CBC. And with Unrigged, I mean, we're kind of like returning to that model, which I think the CBC does really well in some ways, but which Unrigged does with, well, zero dollars and also just like a, a bit more of a progressive perspective. So yeah, it's a community initiative that is really coming as a response to Bill C-18 and people can find out more about it at unrig.ca. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much for being here and for joining us and for talking about this. Again, it truly is one of the things that I've, as I've mentioned to some folks, there is unique excitement about the ability to get this kind of news and to allow you to break yourself away from social media. To be honest, there's a level of this, which is like if you're if the reason you're still attached attached to social media is that you're worried you will miss important news stories. Maybe this can be, you know, I'm not going to say you guys are like vapes to cigarettes, but, you know, it's a, maybe a way to ease yourself in the in a, in a healthier direction. No, <laughs> no, I our first. That. Yeah, no, our our the, the the study groups that we had that were trying to help us model our, our advertising campaign were first leading us to say unrigged these cigarettes of Canadian independent media. We didn't go with that because we thought it might be too controversial. Eric, am I allowed to say that we are on Twitter at unrigged media? Can I say that? I guess you can, but I think we should okay. change our name to like something about vaping the news. I really, really like Ooh. that concept. I like that a lot. Well, um, you heard it here, folks. If, if we, for some reason <laughs> next year they run with vaping the news, the terrible <laughs> idea started now. That was Stefan's idea. That was Stefan's idea. But l- listeners can check us out at unrig.ca. We're there. We just started. We're just going to get bigger. We're just going to get better. And uh, it's an incredible website, which is thanks to a lot of hard work from Eric Andrew Ojajay. And thanks to Romy Greedo for helping to shepherd the whole project forward too. And to the 20 publishers, I'm just going to call those off one last time before we wrap here, Stefan. That's Progress Report in Edmonton, Briar Patch and Sask Dispatch in Saskatchewan, The Hoser, Upping the Ante, Midnight Sun and the Grind in Ontario, The Rover, Ababal and Le Coop de Solidarité Pivot in Quebec, New Brunswick Media Co-op, The Independent in St. John's, and National Publishers, The Breach, Ricochet, The Resolve, Media Co-op, Canadian Dimension, The Maple, Press Progress, and Harbinger. We're on rig.ca and we're really excited to have listeners come check us out. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been Andre Goulet and Eric Wickham from Harbinger and The Hoser, respectively, and also both now with Unrigged. Appreciate it, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks so much.